Well, it's great to be with you here at the 5 p.m. service. A real honor to um, come and bring the message for a wonderful series, of course, that we're looking at for this whole month, the priesthood of all believers. How many priests do we have here in the house today? All right. Okay. That's the majority of us. That's a good start. I was asked to, to come and, and speak today on the topic of our priestly ministry to the world or our priestly ministry to people and what you've been hearing. How many have been here for some of the in the last few weeks? Just put your hand up if you've been here. Okay, great. What you've been hearing is various different topics from, from our associate Bruce Atkinson, of course, R.T. Kendall last week, looking at various topics of priestly ministry, looking at Old Testament priesthood, looking at the, the function and the role of priests looking at the priestly ministry in the order of Melchizedek, looking at Levitical uh, priesthood, and of course the, the significance of David's tabernacle. And by now, for those who have been here for the last few weeks in this series, you will have learnt that to be a priest is a lifelong calling. To be a priest is a lifelong calling. Please turn with me to the scripture, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And the scripture says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Scripture says that you are a chosen race. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a chosen race. Scripture says you are a chosen race. You're a chosen people, in other words. You are a royal priesthood. What is the, the priesthood of all believers all about? Well, first of all, it means in a nutshell that all Christians, you and I, have free and direct access to God. How many know that's good news? We all have free and direct access to God. Without the need of an earthly priest or, the, or, or someone who's a human mediator, we can all come directly to God through Jesus Christ, our high priest. And so it's not just for those who have got some special VIP access to get some backstage audience with God. No, every one of us has, has access into God's presence. And that's why Martin Luther, who lived about five to 600 years ago, that's why he got into trouble with the Pope. Because he was preaching a message, which was the fact that we are all priests. Every one of us are priests, not just the person who preaches, not just the person who sings or the person who leads the service. Every one of us is a priest. All who follow Jesus have access to God. Right from the moment that you became a Christian, when God transferred you from darkness into light, when you uh, became a Christian, when Jesus became your Savior, you became a priest. You are chosen. You are called by His name. You are born of His Spirit. You are favored by God. You are loved by God. Isn't that good news? And so we are priests who are called by His name. And as a priest, more than anything else, we have been called to God Himself. As someone who ministers to God as a priest. And so, of course, 
When we come together like this, as we have just done just now, we, we are able to express this corporate um, thing of expressing our ministry to God. We can do that in private, of course. But the wonderful thing about coming uh, together as a body like this is that we can all express our ministry to God, our priestly ministry. And as you have learned from, from some of um, our associate ministers, Bruce Atkinson's teachings, worship is a priestly ministry. How many know that? Worship is, a, is a truly a priestly ministry. In other words, it's a response to something that God has done. It's a spiritual thing. The Bible says that worship is an offering, therefore it is a choice. Worship is a, a, a sacrifice. It's a way to give God pleasure. It's an, of, an offering to God. In fact, if we want to look at, at that in more detail, we could look at David's tabernacle. And Bruce has been highlighting about that in the last few weeks. The Psalms are, are a wonderful picture of what priestly ministry looks like. I mean, David knew a, a thing or two about priestly ministry. After all, he wrote two-thirds of the Psalms. And David, he expressed this language of, of worship to God in every season of his life. Isn't that powerful? Every season of life that David went through, he expressed a, a language of worship to God, whether that was through his victories or through his battle uh, that he was going through, through the highs and through the lows. He was someone who expressed all kinds of different language of worship to God. And so the tabernacle of David he is about pioneering a new heart of worship. That's what David represents. A new way of worship, of songs to the Lord. Uh, this is, was based on a, a song of praise, a sacrifice of praise. Instead of, you know, uh, you, know, you know, trying to sacrifice a number of animals, this was a sacrifice of spontaneous praise. And so David presents us with the new heart of worship. And much of what we experience in church life today is because of what God did through the tabernacle of David. This freedom that we have. And so David was someone who was skilled on the harp. He was an enthusiastic worshiper. And today when we use the Psalms, this is the most incredible thing. When we use the Psalms, we are using the words of a man after God's own heart. Which are full of all kinds of different emotions. That sometimes we go through. These are words to express your heart in virtually every season that you go through in your life. And Bruce pointed out, of course, that David was a worshiper. But he wasn't just a worshiper, he was a warrior. And so you have this picture, which is a bit of an unusual combination, is it? To be a warrior and a worshiper. In other words, he was this masculine, you know, warrior that was going out of battle and fierce and defeating enemies. But yet at the same time, he was a worshiper who said things like this. He said, one thing I ask, I desire that I may dwell in your presence all of my days, beholding your beauty and seeking your face. That's a bit of a contrast, isn't it? And so he was a warrior and a worshiper. Now, when we get together to perform our priestly ministry to the Lord, there is always a sense of direction. And I want to just talk about this for a few moments before we come to our main topic and main scripture. When we come together to, to bring our priestly minister to, ministry to God, there is always a direction. But not only is there a direction, there is a purpose. When we perform our priestly ministry to God, our direction is toward God. Our priestly ministry is toward God, but our purpose is to encounter Him. Amen? Our direction is towards God, but our primary purpose is to encounter Him. Worship 
is a journey which we must encounter God. Without this encounter, without this meeting with God, our, our worship is pointless and empty. Our priestly ministry is to connect us with God. It's a meeting with Him. And so our priestly ministry must involve encounter. There is always a journey in our corporate times and private times of worship. Someone once described a time of worship or priestly ministry like a journey going up a mountain to meet with God, followed by a journey down to face the world. And I've always thought that's kind of a neat picture of of priestly ministry. And on this journey, there are many steps that we take, going up the mountain and coming down the mountain. For example, uh, praising God's attributes. How do we know that's important? Praising God's attributes as we go up the mountain. Or things like adoration. Or things like confession and forgiveness. Uh, And then, of course, intercession. And then, of course, one of the big ones is mission. Mission is involved in our worship. This is why we have various kinds of songs when we come together in our priestly ministry that emphasize different aspects of God's nature and His attributes. There are songs that we sing going up the mountain, if you like, and there are songs that we sing coming down the mountain. And sometimes these songs coming down the mountain might be those songs of mission. Those songs of mission, of reaching out of the world, where God is encouraging us and exhorting us to be a voice to the people, to our world, to reach people with the gospel. And that's why it's healthy in church life, when we come together in worship, to be singing songs that are mission-orientated, amen? That have an element of sending us out to reach the world. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking just over this last week of thinking, what are some of the songs, missional songs, that we're sometimes used to? And how many remember that song, Send the Fire? Yeah, that famous hymn that we occasionally do here, and uh, sometimes during the, the Easter time we'll pull that one out. And that's a great missional song that that really encourages us and exhorts us to be missionaries. And when these hymns and when these kind of songs were written, they were used to try and encourage the church to not just be pew sitters, but be those who go out to reach the world for mission. Amen? For example, let's read uh, verse 3 and verse 4 of Send the Fire. Listen, Listen to some of these words. It's fire we want, for fire we plead, send the fire. The fire will meet our every need, send the fire today. For strength to always do what's right, for grace to conquer in the fight. Love these kind of rhymes, melodies going on here. For power to walk the world in white, send the fire today. Verse 4. To make our weak hearts strong and brave, send the fire. To live a dying world to save. Send the fire today. Oh, see us on your altar lay. We give our lives to you today. So crown the offering. Now we pray. Send the fire today. Isn't that a great hymn? Great words. It's kind of one of those ones you wish you wrote. But anyway, Robert E. Weber said this. Worship is the gospel in motion. Worship is the gospel in motion. And so as priests ministering to God... It's important that we don't always sing about the same things all the time. 
that we sing songs that emphasize, of course, yes, about his attributes, and those things are really important, and, and, and we, we think about those worship, adoration songs, intercession, confession, but also we must incorporate mission. Our God is a missional God. Our God is interested in mission, and this is important because the songs that we sing here in church life, they are creating the theology of our lives and the theology of God's church. They're creating the viewpoint that we have in our life. They're creating the viewpoint of what we think about God. And so it's not just preaching and teaching that is actually shaping our theology. Worship and the songs that we are singing are shaping our theology. How many know that's true? What we go out singing about is shaping our theology, wherever God takes us. And so therefore, if we sing about just how, God, how intimate God is and how loving He is and, and how kind He is, we may miss other important truths about God and then have an incomplete and unbalanced understanding of our priestly ministry to Him. But no, we are pursuing at KT a, a breadth in our worship, Amen. We're pursuing a breadth in our worship because of the nature of God, because of the character of God, because of all his various facets of who God is. For example, we would say that God is holy, but he is also intimate. We would call God a, a friend, but he is also to be feared. And so you have all these uh, uh, kind of uh, contrasts that may, must be incorporated in our worship. And so our priestly worship to God must cover all of his attributes. And this is probably one of the challenges, and some of my friends will, will know this themselves, is that this is sometimes one of the challenges to putting a song list together. Because we have to discover what is the journey that we are going up. When we're going up a mountain and coming back down, what are we singing about? What attributes of God are we singing about and incorporating into our song life here at KT? Today it would probably you know, be a, a very well-known thing that, especially in the West, worship has a, a growing high profile and influence in, in, in church life. Over the decades, there have been an increase in freedom of worship, and there are various different styles and use uh, of different genres in, 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 in expressions of worship ministry today, styles of music, all kinds of songs being written and sung. But the key thing to remember with all of that, with all of the stuff that's going on, in the worship life of ministry today, is to remember that our priestly ministry is an activity that glorifies God. Priestly ministry is not man-centered. It is God-centered. Amen? Priestly ministry is not man-centered. It is God-centered. But there is another vital aspect of priestly ministry that we need to get a hold of today that we're going to look at. A priestly ministry that we are all responsible for. After all, priestly ministry cannot be just confined to singing a, a few songs on a Sunday. Our priestly ministry is much more than that. It's one thing to, to, to sing about God being a God of mission and He wants to send us out. But there is a responsibility upon us as priests to be priests in our world. And using the picture that I've already used, of us going up a mountain to minister to God, and of course to meet with God, encounter Him. And now I want us to focus our attention on our journey down to face the world. I want you to come with me to Luke 10, verse 25. 
Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it or your understanding of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and by and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves, Jesus said. The lawyer said, and he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. In short, we have this incredible story of this certain Jewish lawyer. And this Jewish lawyer stood up in the midst of everybody there, and he wanted to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer, who was an expert in Old Testament law, he was an Old Testament scholar. And the lawyer is basically asking, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus, knowing, of course, what is going on in this lawyer's heart, he says, well, you know the law. What does it say? And, of course, the lawyer says, well, you shall love the Lord your God and with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, of course, they were able to kind of just recite that. It didn't take much effort to kind of recite those things. They knew that from back to front. And Jesus said to him, well, you've answered rightly. You've, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, if you do this, you're going to experience life. You're going to come alive. If you make this a habit in your life, you're going to know life like nothing else. Jesus tells him, now the Old Testament Lawyer did what probably all lawyers do so well. They tried to find a loophole in the system. And the Bible says, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And why did the lawyer ask this question? Well, the scripture tells us, Luke says he wanted to justify himself. That is, he wanted to make himself seem right in his relationship with God. Because, see, the lawyer was measuring himself against these commands that he's just recited. And he's figured out that he's met the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But his keeping of the second commandment is dependent on what Jesus meant by neighbor. He was asking, who and how much do I have 
to love. And sometimes, I guess, if we're honest, we're sometimes like the lawyer. We uh, try to sometimes reduce God's commands down to what seems to kind of make sense and makes us feel good. And it's kind of manageable. We would like to believe that loving my neighbor maybe means kind of loving those who love me back or maybe caring for those who care for me and doing nice things for, for people who do nice things for me. And that's probably what the lawyer was probably thinking as well. But he was totally unprepared for Jesus' story. Now, the, uh, the story tells us that this journey from Jerusalem to, to Jericho was well known for, for its danger. It was steep. It was treacherous because there were many places for, for robbers to hide. And uh, in fact, it was so bad that it was called, uh, the road was actually called the Way of Blood. If you look into, do some research in it, it was called the Way of Blood. And I can't imagine it was really one of those places that you go to hang out. And as we've read in verse 30, we read, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. In other words, these thieves had no regard for human life. And they just left him half dead to die. And as this guy laid beside the road, all beat up, half dead, Jesus says that there were three individuals that came along the way. Now, I just want us to think about this man that uh, Jesus is kind of giving some details about. This man that lay on the, on the roadside represents need. This man represents what we might call social injustice. And of course, we see all kinds of social injustice, even in our, you know, the heart of our city of London. Or perhaps it represents man's spiritual condition. Or maybe a world or a generation that are crying out for help for a savior. Who are dead in their sins, who are wounded, who are hurting, who are lost. Those who have been victims of darkness. Those who have been victims of the devil have been victimed, uh, you know, by injustice. And it's fascinating here how Jesus would use this example of the following people to illustrate this story. Come with me to the scripture. If you just, we'll walk through it together. The first guy who passed by is introduced in verse 31. Just come with me there. It says, now by chance a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side and continued on his journey. This guy was a priest. The priest was coming down the road likely from fulfilling his religious duties in Jerusalem. In other words, he'd been to church. He's done his religious kind of ritual, done all the ceremonial things that they were supposed to do, been to church, done his religious thing. And this is one of the most shocking things about this story. Why? Well, the priest was considered the holiest person among the Jews. He was taught the scriptures. He was someone who was entrusted with offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. He was allowed to go further in the temple than anybody else of his day. If anyone was going to reflect the nature and the character of God, it would be the priest. There were a number of other functions that the priest had. During the Old Testament in the Israelite tabernacle, there were different levels of being a priest. He had the high priest who was the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies once a year 
on the Day of Atonement, there was, secondly, the, the, the regular priests who offered daily sacrifices on behalf of the people. And, of course, then you had people, these priests that were, of course, involved in different aspects of life in the Old Testament. They were the ones who made decisions about keeping disease out of the camp. They were the ones that were involved in court cases. They were involved in various, all kinds of different things, sometimes encouraging troops before they went out to war. Only the priests were allowed to perform any of these duties. And so if there was anyone who was going to reflect the caring and the loving and the nature and character of God, it was going to be the priest. But Jesus says he passes by. Perhaps maybe singing his favorite song or maybe, you know, looking at his favorite scripture as he ignores the need and just continues on his journey forward. Walk with me through the second one. The second passerby is introduced in verse 32. As a Levite. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite at least, of course, went over and actually looked at the man, which is a good thing, I guess. But he, too, did not feel the need to have to help this man. He looked and passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite was someone who also had a particular calling. He had a particular function. Let's look at that briefly. Because the reign of King David is the, same, uh, is the time in history that we get most of the information about the role of Levites. In uh, the tabernacle of David, there were musicians and singers in the Bible. Uh, the tabernacle of David was really characterized by the writing and singing of songs, of the Psalms. Whereas you had 288 prophetic singers going for it. You had 4,000 musicians uh, going for it in the tabernacle of David. And these Levites, they were ministering to God around the clock, 24-7, nonstop. And the book of Psalms, of course, is, was Israel's national hymnal. It was the praise book. It was the worship book for, uh, that the Levites' ministry were responsible for. Even today, the, um, the book of Psalms has historically been really kind of like the prayer and worship book of the church for the last, well, over 2,000 years. David organized and set musicians apart to serve in the tabernacle, making sure that there was 24-hour praise and worship nonstop. And the Levites were set apart for this purpose. And so what did David do? He appointed each Levite to a role according to their abilities. The role of the Levite was vital for the tabernacle of David to function. So what were the three things that the Levites did? Well, three things. They needed to be available to worship in the tabernacle. Secondly, they had to teach other musicians. Thirdly, they also were responsible to study and teach the Word of God. And so... Jesus is painting this picture of a Levite. Here was this Levite, this representative of worship. He's coming from Jerusalem, likely performed his religious duties. He's going to Jericho. And Jesus says he just looked at the man who was half dead. He looked at the need and he passed by. Now the priest and the Levite may have been regular nice guys. We don't know, really, the scripture doesn't tell us anything much more about them. But both of these men, these men saw the man, but they ignored the need. They didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to roll up their sleeves. They didn't want to get into any kind of trouble. But you see, there were people who got caught up to a lifestyle. That there were religious professionals who were caught up in this kind of lifeless religion. 
that didn't have any effect on the world that they actually lived in. Didn't affect the way that they lived. There was a disconnect from their uh, apparent uh, religious life in the temple to worship and their responsibilities to be priests in the world. But in verse 33, come with me there. Here we have the wonderful Samaritan. Jesus says, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. Now, understand that this wasn't a Jew you know, helping a Jew. This was a Samaritan helping a Jew, which was a big deal back then because, of course, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. In fact, it probably would have been more likely for the Samaritan to finish this guy off who was half dead because the two groups didn't like each other very much. But when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan saw this man lying in agony beside the road. And his heart churned within him so that he could not help but help the guy who was half dead to help this man. When he saw him suffering, lying half dead on the floor, on the side of the road, something happened in his heart. Something happened that made it impossible for him to just walk by. Jesus is painting this picture to us. He felt something that made him have to act. And we might call that compassion. Compassion is not necessarily just a feeling. It's something that causes us to act and to do something. In other words, he couldn't just sit around and just play church. He couldn't just sit around maybe and just sing the songs and just pretend all is well. The situation was desperate. The situation was urgent. And then Jesus details how active this man's compassion was. And just look at some of these verses here. And maybe you want to underline, there's about six different things that this uh, Samaritan does. First of all, he went to him. If we want to be effective priests in the world or wherever God has placed us, first of all, it means we have to move towards them. He went to him. Secondly, he bandaged his wounds. Thirdly, he poured oil and wine on his wounds, which is very interesting because this is illustrative of what they used to do when making sacrifices to the Lord. They used to use wine and oil. Next, he put him on his donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And so this Samaritan, he put this guy on his own donkey, which means, of course, that the Samaritan had to walk. Not only did he, of course, take care of him, but he made sure that he was looked after afterwards. But what this Samaritan, of course, soon, you know, experience was he knew that this was going to be a cost to him. Priestly ministry to the world is a cost. If you want to be a priest in the world, it will cost you. Maybe it will be your time. Maybe it will be financial, whatever it might be. Being an effective priest in our world will cost. And so on the next day, Scripture says, when he departed, he gave some money to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever you, more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. He went the extra mile. To take care of the man. I think this is a wonderful picture of consolidation. Amen. How the Samaritan got a hold of this guy. And he looked after him. He rescued him. But it didn't just stop there. He made sure that he was looked after until he was able to get back onto his two feet again. What is consolidation? He, he was taken in. He was looked after. He was fed. He was given attention. Not just left alone. Just to kind of survive on his own. He was given time to get strong. 
And so at the conclusion of this story, Jesus asked the lawyer this one additional question. And look at verse 36. Come with me there. And he says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And I, it would have been wonderful just to, want to look at the picture of what was actually going on here. And you can just imagine this lawyer is almost choking on his words. Because, of course, remember, he's a Jew and, and uh, he cannot even bring himself to say the word the Samaritan. And so he responds in verse 37, he says, he who showed mercy on him. And for the second time, Jesus tells this man, Go and do likewise. The lawyer is left without any of his excuses. You see, the original question that the lawyer asked was, was you know, uh, who is my neighbor? Now the question had been turned right back on him. And now the question was, what kind of neighbor am I? See, the lawyer seemed more worried about the command, not necessarily to love God with all of his heart, but he was more concerned about the command to love his neighbor. Why? I guess sometimes in the, in the Christian life, it's hard to sometimes test someone's love for God. It's sometimes hard to, to measure someone's priestly ministry. It's hard to sometimes uh, measure someone's worship life or their adoration for God or their, whatever it is. But if you want to find one way to measure one's love for God and their worship life, look at his love for his neighbor. Look at his heart for the world. Look at his heart for the lost, for the broken, for the hurting, for the weeping. And in this story, Jesus really is separating the person who has a real relationship with God from just the person who is a merely religious worshiper. I don't know what the reason is. We don't know what the real reasons were behind why the priest and the Levite just passed by, but they missed their opportunity to reach the world. Somehow the priest and the Levite, they had disconnected their worship life, their priestly life to the world around them. Somehow they had a narrow idea of what priestly ministry is, of what worship ministry is. They narrowed it down perhaps maybe to a few songs on a Sunday. Or actually we know now that songs are only just one vehicle of expressing our worship to God. Come with me quickly to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 verse 42. And it says this, Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. I would like to ask us a question here today is, where do you and I fit in this parable that Jesus told for us? Because see, here we see that worship ministry is very practical. Priestly ministry is very practical. As my, one of my colleagues and friends here, Dave Wellington, has often said, is that worship without mission is pointless. Worship without mission is pointless. If, if worship does not fuel us for mission, then there is something wrong with our understanding of what worship is. Is everybody with me? There's something wrong with our understanding of what priestly ministry is if it doesn't exhort us to go and be a missionary in our world. Surely after ministering to God, encountering God, meeting with Him, that there's something that must happen in our hearts that makes us want to be a priest in our world. 
read this phrase a few weeks ago, worship transforms worshipers. You know, some of us have remembered the story of the woman at the well. Remember that story? And I, I love this story because, of course, this is where she met Jesus. And funny enough, they start talking about worship. That's the main theme. And Jesus is ex- expressing to her about what real worship is, to, to worship the, the Father in spirit and in truth. And what's most incredible is, of course, after that, he then starts to speak into her life about things that nobody else knew about. And so she has this incredible encounter with God, this incredible, overwhelming encounter. And what happens? She's so overwhelmed that she goes to the town and she starts telling everybody about this Jesus Christ that she just met. In other words, when she had an encounter with God, something inside of her made her wanted to preach it to the world. There was something in our heart that wanted to get out and preach this message of Jesus. And for you and I, we are priests. We're called to the world. Worship is is all-encompassing. It involves our ministry to God, but also how we live in a world that needs Jesus. Perhaps maybe us here today have disconnected. Maybe our worship life or temple life from our priestly ministry to the world. Our ministry to God is our vertical ministry. It is upward to God. But perhaps our reaching out is our horizontal ministry of reaching out to the world. Priests are those who practice worship after the meeting is over. We're called to not only to import worship, but to export it out. No matter where God has called you or He's positioned you, we are called to be those who export worship. To reveal God to our workplace, our college, our school, university, wherever it is. And this is where the priest and the Levite got it all wrong. They thought that their their priestly ministry was all about just doing the ceremonial thing in the temple. And that's as far as it went. It was kind of like, you know, hey, see you next week. We'll go through the same rituals that we did before. But for us... As New Testament believers, we're not merely those who who just are in a passive building where God dwells. We are the active participants of worship. Today, there there may be some people who today who say, well, we're into the, the priestly ministry to God. And that's all wonderful, and that's where we give all of our time. We love to, to just minister to God uh, uh, you know, 24-7, and that's what we're called to do, and that's fantastic. And then another group might say, well, actually, we, we're those who do our priestly ministry to people. That's where we give 100% of our time. But to be a New Testament believer, to be a New Testament priest, is to be someone who is a temple of worship and prayer, but also a temple of mission. You cannot disconnect the two. You cannot divorce the two. Here at Kensington Temple, we are priests to be those who are a temple of worship and prayer, but to be a temple of mission. Amen. And this is why here at KT, we, we run with various, you know, courses, leadership courses, Living Free, ML1 and 2. We, we do these courses because, yes, we are priests, but, but we, we need to be trained to be effective priests in the world. How many know that? If you haven't been on the ML1 or 2 or Living Free, make sure you get on it. It's a training us. It's making us effective priests in the world where we are. That's the purpose of the fivefold ministry. To train and equip the body of what? Priests. To equip the body of priests. To be priests out there in the world. To do the work of the ministry. 
in that place where God has called us to uh, the, the, the traditional mindset that many of the church seem to be under the influence of, of that the, 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 the pastor is just the priest, is not a biblical model. It's an unbiblical model. Every one of us is a priest. Today, every one of us can perform our priestly ministry. Today is about the body of being put to work, the body of priests. This is a key to, to, to growth in your life. This is a key to growth in the church. It's funny, just in the last week, I don't know how many of you are you're kind of on the social pipeline with Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff, but, but um, I got the chance to look at some of uh, the late Wynn Lewis's notes. Anybody see that on Facebook? Some of his notes that... Uh, of course, he was uh, the, the minister here before our senior minister, Colin Dye, and he, he put out some leadership notes. In fact, his son, Gareth, put some leadership notes out. And it's so interesting because he was talking about the significance of Kensington Temple being a house of priests. And what happened? We saw explosive growth in the church. And of course, that same thing has run through through our senior minister and of course through Bruce. This whole theme that Kensington Temple is called to be a house of priests. And so what does that look like? What does it mean to be a priest? Serving others? Taking God's love, being a blessing to others? Helping someone who's going through a tough time? Encouraging others, giving people hope? Having an answer to tell people of why you believe in Jesus, that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life? Being a light in the world of darkness? Our priesthood must you know, extend into the workplace must extend to, to our homes and our families and the shops and the streets, wherever it is. Our priesthood must go out. Romans 12, just go with me quick, quickly. Romans 12 verse 1. Paul says this, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What does that mean? That means everything that you do with your body. How many of you got a body here? Amen. Oh dear. Some of you not got a body? Okay. Everything that you do with your body is to be done as an act of worship to God. This is your spiritual service to God. Every Christian is a priest. Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian must be active in the Lord's work. It's in the world, of course, where the Christian spends most of his time. You know, working and studying, playing, living, socializing. It's in the world where the need is. The ones who need to hear of Jesus Christ. This is why we have the ministry of the giants. Our 12 different giants. What is the basis of that? It's so that we would release priests and penetrate every area of society. That's our vision here at KT. And so every Christian, every one of us, if we haven't managed to get this so far, hopefully you'll get it today. Every one of us is a, is a priest. Every one of us is called to be a priest, working actively in the world. This is the New Testament pattern. In fact, so powerful it was, was this. When the revelation of this came upon the early church, it transformed, it turned the world upside down. Because they understood that they were priests. Serving the high priest, Jesus Christ. And God will do it today. But first of all, we have to have this understanding, this revelation that we are called to be priests. If I can invite Peter to come and play just briefly.
And so the primary emphasis is not necessarily perhaps what we do on a Sunday. And of course, we know sometimes that Sunday is sometimes kind of like match day, you know, and it's all wonderful as the church come together. But Christianity is not just about what takes place on Sunday. How many know that? It's about what takes place during the week. What kind of priest are you being in your workplace, in your college, your, your university? We ought to measure the greatness of the church not by necessarily how many are attending the church on a Sunday, but by what those people who are attending the church on Sunday are doing during the week. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to reach your neighbor? Who's going to reach that colleague in your workplace? Who's going to speak with your friends about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And may it be our prayer today that we would say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Let's stand together. One Peter two nine, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, and here it is, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are here to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Amen. And just for a couple of moments, as we draw you know, this series to a close, I want to encourage you just to open up your heart to the Lord this afternoon or this evening. And say a simple prayer to the Lord. Lord, here am I. I'm available. And I ask you to use me. Use me to be an effective priest. In my generation, may I not be one who passes the need. May I not be someone who passes the buck and relies on someone else to do the job. May I be one who takes responsibility for my generation that I will be those who stand in the face of injustice. I will be one who stands against the flow, against the crowd. I will be a priest who reaches my generation for Christ. And just, just do that in your own words right now. Make yourself available to the Lord. Ask Him to come and freshly anoint you, to fill you, to touch your life again today. Go ahead, just do that. Touch my life, Lord. Anoint my life, Lord. For the sake of the lost, for the sake of the broken. For the sake of that work colleague, for the sake of my family that need Jesus, anoint me. Anoint the words of my mouth, Lord. But God, more than anything else, touch my heart. Touch my heart to weep over the broken, to weep over the lost, the world, the need around me. Father, we present ourselves to you today.
Father, thank you that you have called us to this wonderful ministry of priesthood. You have allowed us to come freely, to have access to your throne room. We thank you for that. And now, Lord, we pray that there would be a transition in our hearts, that you would point us out to the world around us. We pray, God, that you would make us effective missionaries for your name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.